0: Did anybody not get a handout today? Show me hands. All right. There's a couple deacons. Emmanuel and Todd will be coming around. Just kind of let them know you need one because you're going to need it. Get yourself a pen handy, some kind of marking device, crayon. (laughs) If you're like me, you're more likely to have a crayon. Alright, so we are going to be going through a sermon series, and Chris wanted to really go through our, our statement of faith. The doctrine of the First Baptist, or not the First Baptist, gosh, it's been a while. The church at Odessa, okay? Um, and, and so we're going to be kind of going back and forth. You can go to the website, actually, or if you have a copy of our Constitution and Bylaws, you can see the statement of faith. Um, and we're actually going to notice we're going out of order. So it starts with Holy Scriptures, and we're going to be starting with the doctrine of God today. Next week, Chris will do Scripture. Um, But we thought it would be good to give little quizzes, just to kind of see where you're at. I'm not going to look at these unless you're in my theology class, then I'll be grading you. You better get these right. Um, But this is really just for you to kind of see where you're at. So we're going to go through these, and then we're actually going to touch on a lot of these uh, as we go through um the sermon today so let's just take a few moments um look at this go through there's seven questions they're true or false they're not tricks um they're just simple true or false and then uh we'll come back and we'll go through those here in just a minute so take one two or three minutes and go through those while you're doing that i'll tell a father's day story so a lot of you probably know i'm not an overly emotional person i just i don't um when our first child was born, we were living in Kentucky. Actually, all of our children were born in Kentucky. Um, you know, my dad called me and wished me happy Father's Day, and it was nice. Um, and I think it was the second, the second Father's Day. We were actually back in Florida visiting, and uh, he wished me happy Father's Day, and I guess we were both feeling emotional because we hugged for a second. Um, <laughs> and he kind of, you know, we kind of did the thing. Um, and then every year after that, it's like, you know, congratulations for doing your job. So that's my Father's Day story, but I love my father, and that's how it is. We appreciate each other. All right, that's my emotional Father's Day story. Okay, let's go through these. Uh, Hopefully you've had a a chance to finish. Again, just seven questions, true or false. So question number one, there is one God. True, that's right. Uh, This is the consistent testimony of all of Scripture. There are multiple, multiple, multiple um, places in Scripture where you can find that God is one. Now, I'm going to refer you to something, and I don't want you to panic. It's called the Athanasian Creed, all right? Um, Athanasius was a bishop when—this is prior to the Reformation, so he was, quote, Catholic, but he was also little c Catholic, meaning this was the universal church. Um, he is the first one to put in creedal form what we call the doctrine of the Trinity, Okay? So go look it up. You can find it online. It's in two parts. You can read it pretty quick. Um, the first part is, is deals with the Trinity of the Athanasian Creed, and the second part deals with Christ. All right, question number two. There are three persons in the Godhead. That's right. Um, again, you can see references to this. We'll, we'll talk about some of those today in Scripture, but also this is the, uh, this is the orthodox stance throughout the history of the Christian church. The three persons in the Godhead have always related to one another as Father, Son, and Spirit. This is true. So we already know that God is one. We know that God is three. God is three persons, and they are each fully God. We'll cover this more in a little bit. Each person is distinct from the others. We'll cover this. And three persons are eternally related as Father, Son, and Spirit. We'll cover that as well. Question number four. Each of these three persons of the Godhead is one-third God. False, that's right. Each person is fully God, and the Trinity is indivisible. All right, question five. God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in different eras for different purposes, but never at the same time. That's right, it is false. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternal, and they are not temporary states of being. This is called modalism, and we'll cover this in just a little bit. Number six, the persons of the Trinity have distinct roles. True, that's right. Um, we can summarize their roles if we think about its, for example, um, redemption. So the Father planned, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. You can think about it this way. Number seven, we cannot confidently derive the doctrine of the Trinity from the biblical text. That's right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Um, But it's derived from many statements that we get from the Bible. Okay, so I am going to attempt to cover the doctrine of God and the Trinity in a very short amount of time. If you have been in my systematic theology class, uh, months (laughs) we've spent on the doctrine of God, um, we're not actually done with it yet. I'm going to go right after this, and we're going to continue on the doctrine of God. So there's a lot that can be said about it. There's a lot that can be taught about it. Um, but we're going to hit some high points, and hopefully you'll walk away uh, a little bit better for it. So the doctrine of God, according to our statement of faith, says this. There is one triune God, eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are co-eternal in being, co-identical in nature, co-equal in power and glory, and having the same attributes and perfections. This wording is very intentional uh, because through the centuries, the oneness of God and also the Trinity have been challenged on multiple fronts. We'll ta- I'm, I'm going to hit a little bit uh, later on something called Arianism, and we certainly don't have time to go into it, but it was a major heresy that thrived for hundreds of years uh, despite it continually being debunked. Uh, our source text for these are Deuteronomy 6:4. you can write these down. And then 2 Corinthians 13:14. Typically in confessions of faith or uh, catechisms or uh, statements of faith, there is a, an Old Testament reference and a New Testament reference. And what this does is it serves to show and point out that all of Scripture is, is confessing the same thing, that even though we have Old Testament and we have New Testament, it is all written by the same God. Deuteronomy six four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Second Corinthians thirteen, fourteen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So in Second Corinthians, this is Paul, he's giving a benediction at the end of 2nd Corinthians, he's writing his letter, and he begins to, and we can see this pattern in him, he begins to reference all parts of the Godhead, the Godhead being the Trinity. And he starts to say things, you know, like we we baptize in the name of what? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so what we're doing is we're affirming the nature of God. We're affirming who God is in this way. So Paul is doing the same thing. He's giving his benediction. He's giving his blessing. He's saying grace of Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which are all things that each one of these do in part. So when we talk about the doctrine of God, when we talk about the Trinity, we're gonna kinda of break this up into two parts. We're gonna to try to focus on the doctrine of God and then merge ourselves into Trinity. But understand, they're very, uh, they're very fluid, okay? They're very intertwined. Uh, so a lot of it's gonna sound the same. When we're talking about the Trinity and we're talking about the doctrine of God, it is at once easy and complex. So we're talking about God. When we say, when we say God, what we're actually saying is Trinity. We're referring to the three parts of God when we say God. Right now, I think a lot of us, when we say God, we, we, we kind of think Father, right? God the Father, and then Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. But when we say God, when we use this word God, that's what we're actually confessing with our mouths. Getting this doctrine right is crucial for right worship. If you do not understand fully who God is, And not just that he is just, and not just that Christ died on the cross. If you don't understand who they are, your worship doesn't amount to much, because you're not worshiping the true God. So we have to understand who God is and how he reveals himself to us in Scripture. We have to understand that Scripture is our foundation. Scripture is our only authority and our only source to understand God. I've said before, Scripture is not meant to, this is not meant to be encyclopedic. This is not everything there is to know about God. But it does contain everything that we need to know about redemption. And suffice it to say, he has given this to us for what we need now, okay? But we have to understand that if we're going to make any claims about God, if we're going to make any assertions on to who his character is, it has to come from Scripture, all right? God is ultimately the author and the subject of the Bible, which is, I think that's interesting. Um, But again, we have to fall back on Scripture. If there's doubts, if there's questions, if, you know, we have some really great idea that we think nobody's ever thought of before, which by the way they have, um, then we have to go back to Scripture, okay? For someone who thinks biblically, the doctrine of God is kinda obvious. God reveals himself to us as we read scripture and as we look in creation, we look at the beauty and we look at everything and we say, this is God. We say, we say things like, it was a God thing, right? Something happened and it ended up in the good for us and we say it was a God thing. Um, and, that's, and that's right, that's, that's absolutely right. But we have to understand is that whether we believe it or not, it's right you understand? Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, God is the subject and the author of Scripture. According to Scripture, every living creature has an innate knowledge of God because he's the author of all things. We can see this in Psalm 14. We can see this in Romans 1. All right? Every creature is born. Now, what classifies as a creature? Right? You've got animals, but we know animals don't really think much, um, even though they are capable of learning certain things. But when we're talking about creatures, we're talking about angels, and we're talking about humans. And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But every creature has an innate knowledge of God. Some angels reject the lordship of Christ. We know that. We see that, you know, part of them rebelled, and they went off with Satan, and they became what we refer to as demons. All humans have rejected the lordship of God. We're all born with this innate idea that there is God. And then there's the lordship of God. There's this idea that you fully and 100%, you, without thinking, without reservation, submit. This is lordship. We, we have a little bit of a problem with this in America because we're all like, no, monarchs. Um, and so we don't, you know, we don't walk around calling each other, you know, senators aren't called like lord, right? like the house of lords. They don't have titles, But here's the idea. Lordship means 100% submission. I don't understand. I don't want to. I don't think so, but I do. This is lordship. So again, every human being rejects this. And then Christ comes and allows us through the Holy Spirit to then accept this lordship because on our own, we are rebellious. We are insurrectionists. We will always not choose God without him. The human conscious points to God, and I think we kick against this. We, you watch the news, right? Things go crazy all the time. Bad things happen. And something in you feels that it's either, you know, that was was the right thing to do, or that was the wrong thing to do. You have a basis in your heart, in your mind, for what is just and what is not. It's probably a little bit corrupt, just like everybody, but You have this idea in your conscience that there is a God, and you have this idea of right and wrong in your heart. So you may fight against it, but there it is. This is that lordship that you can't get away from, okay? It's in you. It's in your your DNA. Our desire to substitute the lordship of God with anything is idolatry. Idolatry isn't just, you know, no, there's no idols up here, but you know, little trinkets that you worship, right? That you set in front of your, you know, your, your dedicated space and house. It's, it's more than that. It's, it's anything that you're doing that supplants the rightful place of God as Lord. Could be family, could be job, could be hobbies, could be friends. It could be yourself. It could be anything. Whatever it is that supplants your worship and gives it to something else is idolatry. This is important. If we're talking about the doctrine of God, what is God except that he is to be worshipped and adored? And if you're not doing that, or if you're doing it partly, then that is wrong worship. It's not acceptable. So think about that. Search your heart. Are there things in your life that you've not given? And I don't don't mean like, I'm giving over playing the piano, because I just love playing the piano. No, 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 no. It's a heart issue. It's not the thing. It's not the thing you're doing, right? Playing the piano, for example, isn't wrong. Playing music isn't wrong. Playing video games isn't wrong. Liking sports isn't wrong. But when you love it more than your God, that is idolatry. All right, God, listen to this. God is entirely holy, H-O-L-Y, and he is also wholly other, W-H-O-L-L-Y. So he is entirely holy, but he is wholly other. We cannot fathom his greatness. We have whispers of it in scripture. Just, just whispers, just shadows of the greatness of God. And then we try to take these and we try to apply our own values to it, which is just amazing. I mean, I do it, you do it, everybody does it. We try to, we try to pigeonhole God. We try to say, well, I wouldn't do it. If we say things like this, if I was God, like as if as if Um, we try to we try to put our own understanding onto the character of God we try to put our own ethics onto the character of God we try to make God in our image because that makes sense it's easier that way it's easier if God looks like us. It's easier if God is predictable like us. This is just a side note. I, I think about this from time to time, and, um, I, you know, I, I always wonder, you know, how it is that that Satan and his demons are so, so good at getting people to sin. And I think a lot of times it's just our own sinful nature. We want to sin, uh, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. But I think it's also just because we're predictable. I mean, humans are just going to do what they're going to do. You know, Satan's been doing this a long time. He knows what people are going to do. You're no different. There's nothing new under the sun. Your habits are just like those of people that came before you. So I think a lot of times our actions are very, very predictable, and that's why it's easy to drive us to sin. It's hard to classify God. Now, that's one of those duh statements, I think. Um, But we try. We try right? And it's not wrong that we try. This is actually what's called theology. This is theos from Greek, God-ology, study, okay? So we study God, and it's okay that we do, right? Because we have to understand God, but we do it from scripture. We don't apply things that aren't there, right? We don't take ideas that are our own, just like we talked about, and then apply them to God. No, we take God's ideas of himself we take the information that God has taught us about himself, and then we apply it to him, and then we apply it to the rest of Scripture. It's called the regulative principle, by the way, the regulative principle, where Scripture always speaks to itself in other places. Right? So if God says something about his character in the Old Testament, it certainly applies in the New Testament. If God says something about himself in the New Testament, you can go back, and sure enough, it's there in the Old Testament. Okay? You may have to look for it. You may have to read the Bible, but it's there. So we can't classify God neatly, okay? But it's not wrong that we try. This is us trying to understand the God that we love and we serve. How else would we know how to worship him rightly, right? I mean, do we just sing random songs? Do we, do we pray random prayers? Do we read, you know, just uh, this verse today? Or is it more than that? We got to classify. We got to try to understand, right? Humans like checklists. We like the idea of classifications, and that's how we're made. So it's okay to try to study God and organize the thought of God in your mind. You're never going to fully do it, but we can certainly try. Lastly, before we get into some of the other aspects of God, we have to understand that he is transcendent, All right, so we just talked about how we're trying to classify God, and now I'm telling you that He's unclassifiable. Um, He is transcendent, He is above all. So let's talk about this word transcendent a little bit. It means that He is far above our existence, He is far above our reality. And I don't mean up, like He's up somewhere, um, because we'll talk about that in a minute too. But I mean He is wholly different. This is why when we say this term, holy other, that is is actually a a theological term, holy other. God is entirely different from us. Now, if that sounds again like one of those, well, well, yeah, type things, hear it. He is entirely different than us. He's entirely different than anybody you've ever known. He does not think the way you do. He does not operate the way you do. He certainly does not move the way you do. He is wholly other and entirely holy. It's beyond our reasoning and our understanding. But he's not far from us either. He's not, he's not far. He didn't just wind the clock of creation and, and let it go, you know, and then, and then never come back. No, no, no. He is there. He is present. He is with. But don't think that his closeness means that he is like us. It's important to remember He's not inaccessible to us either. He's not inaccessible to the mind. So I've just told you how hard it is to classify God and how different he is. But still in your conscience, your conscience is there. It's pricked. You know, you feel there's something, right? Now, you may have gone your entire life and, and you know, blinded yourself to this and muted this out in your life and you no longer feel that and that's a very dangerous place to be, friend. But it's there. And the fact remains that even if, you, even if you fully, in your heart, in your mind, push God out, he is still Lord, and you will still be accountable for that, regardless of how it makes you feel. All right. that scare anybody? You guys, I mean, a couple of you were like. Um, <laughs> all right. So, I'm going to kind of go through some categories here, and we'll walk through these, and maybe we'll finish soon, maybe not, but we'll get through them. Um, and just by the way, too, I think the nature, the nature of, these, of this series, um, of, of what do you believe, is going to be a little more of a lesson than it is sermonic, although it's certainly sermonic. Um, so there's a lot of facts that are going to get thrown out, so I want you to, to take it all in, Um, But just understand that we want you to understand what we believe as a church. And if you're a member, you also confess to believe these things, okay? All right, the name and the person of God. I I, I put these together um, because it's really hard to talk about the person of God without talking about his name. So in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, his name is El. If you're saying it plural, it's Elohim. Now, if you've taken Hebrew, you know you spent the first couple days going... (laughs) right? You got to get that right. (laughs) So it's (laughs) lohim. Now, I mention this only because just because you see God's name mentioned in the plural in Old Testament is not necessarily the writers referring to the Trinity, although it could be. Lohim has more to do with, it's, it's closely related to the word time okay? And so for the Hebrews, and in ancient Near Eastern languages, they would repeat things to emphasize. So the fact that God, the, the, the name of God is closer, if in their language, related to time, what they're trying to convey is this timelessness, this eternity of this person, of this person God, okay? So don't necessarily think just because you read lohim in the original language, it's referring to the Trinity. Sometimes, sometimes not, okay? In Greek, we say theos. We talked about this earlier. And these are generic names for God, okay? God reveals himself to us with his covenant name, which is, we say, Yahweh. It's Y-H-W-H. We don't know what the actual vowels were because the Jews did not put vowels in because they considered it so sacred that they did not want to write it down. And so they took the vowel sounds of the word Adonai, and they applied it to the YHWH, and they got, uh, really, there's, there's a couple ways you could potentially say it, we don't know. There's Yahweh, Yahowa, and then another or something like that. Um, the last one is, is off. So, but we, we traditionally say Yahweh, and that's okay. But understand, this is the covenant name of God. This is the name that he gave of himself to his people, all right? So this is his name. Now, I'm spending a few minutes on Yahweh because I want you to understand how the ancient Israelites got this word, right? We don't know how it actually sounded. It's not written down anywhere, so we don't know, right? So we can interpret ancient Hebrew and we can say the words and we can read the text, but we don't know because nobody wrote it down, not in scripture and not certainly not anywhere else. Okay? If they were going to write it down anywhere, it would have been in Scripture. So Jehovah Witness claim that Jehovah, with a J, is actually the real name of God. But here's what they don't get. Is we have this word Yahweh, right? Which we, we took this vowel sounds of Adonai, applied it to the consonants, Y-H-W-H. And then it was Latinized into the word Jehovah. So Jehovah is not technically a real name of God. It's just a, it's a transliterated and translated word that doesn't actually match anything we have in Scripture. So, I hope I didn't ruin anyone's day. Um, I hope you don't have anything, you know, embroidered at home. Um, <laughs> you can send nasty grams to me, it's okay. Um, I just, it's fair that you know that, okay? So when Jehovah Witness say that Jehovah is the true name of God, what they're betraying is a lack of ancient Near Eastern languages, a lack of understanding of how the Israelites used language. They're betraying that. It's also a fact that the original translators of the Bible that a Jehovah's Witness use, none of them knew Greek or Hebrew. So, there's that, okay? So, God reveals himself as Yahweh, again, in the Old Testament we have El Elohim, and we also have in Greek Theos. So these are the, these are the generic words for God. Now, talking about the person of God. We define a person as a rational agent uh, capable of establishing interactive relationships with other rational agents. So when I told you earlier, animals are technically creatures, they are not rational agents. There are two types of rational agents in all of creation. Angels and humans, that's it, okay? So only two types of rational agents in all of creation. So, according to this definition, God is personal. He establishes relationships with rational agents, and he is himself a rational agent. Don't panic if this sounds really technical. Okay? It is. This is what we're doing. Right? We're trying to understand the God of Scripture. Now, we can see an example like Genesis one twenty-six. God does speak in the plural. He says, let us make man in our image. That's kind of cool right? I mean, it's right there. It's in the very beginning. You're only 26 verses into the whole book, and there it is. There's the Trinity. Let us make a man, but he's a single person, right? And so as we, as we move through scripture, we start to see just how elaborate this gets. We get to see just how amazing really God is. He is a being unlike anything that we know but he shares part of himself with us, right? We'll come to that in a minute, too. So he's a single person with no equals or rivals. Uh, now, he does have relationships, but it's not with, with himself, right? I've heard this said, and, and I may even have said it in the past, that the Trinity uh, have had this, you know, eternal relationship. no. It's not that way, and I'll elaborate on that, hopefully, here in a couple minutes, but understand he has relationships with rational agents, with creatures, which are angels and humans. So that's who he chooses to establish relationships with. Not that he needs them. right? We need relationships. How many studies have been done about people that you know, are, are closed off or, you know, children that are not exposed uh, in social situations? And, and their minds don't develop properly. And there's a longing and a hole and a nurturing there that they just can't fill. We crave, we need relationships. But don't understand that God needs it like we do. He, he desires it because it is good that he does. Because it glorifies him. But he does not need it. There's nothing that drives him to it other than the fact that he loves us. Okay? Okay. Now, God is revealed in Scripture as masculine, but he's beyond gender. So we use he, him. He's masculine. Man and women are created in his image, both. So we can take from that that the feminine and the masculine represent different characteristics of God in some way. And it was good for him that he would do that. Now, if you can... Kind of imagine in your mind, you know, those different traits coming into one. It still wouldn't be as magnificent as God, but He gives this to us and He wants that displayed. He wants to see that He is at once protective and He's also caring. And we see multiple examples of this in Scripture. Um, He wants us to see that He is a fighter and a defender, but He's also a loving, caring Father right? He is a thinker. God thinks, and he shares this with us. So all these different attributes that we see in all of us around here, male and female, represent in part the characteristics of God. Gender is not irrelevant to God, obviously. (laughs) Um, He created male and female. He wanted it to be that way. Now we can we can actually end a lot of theology discussions and we can end a lot of sermons by saying, because that's how God wanted it, and that's how it is. And you'd be right. But it's not helpful. So when we're looking at, you know, for example, the creation narrative, when we're looking at how God did this, he chose very deliberately what to do. It wasn't an accident. He wasn't responding to something, he wasn't. He didn't, he didn't create and then there was this you know, freak of, a freak accident of genetics and biology and, and you know, the sun was a little bit hot that day and all of a sudden, excuse me, there were male and female and he's like, right, I'll just roll with this. No, 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 it was intentional. It was always going to be that way. Now, there were plenty of female deities in the ancient world. It wasn't like everything was just you know male dominant um, like the feminists would have us believe. But there were plenty of female deities in the ancient world. So it wasn't, if, if, the, if the Hebrews were making up this religion, it wasn't necessary that they invent some sort of, of male God. There were plenty of female deities, and honestly, uh, it was probably easier to follow them in the ancient world. But God chooses specifically for no other reason than the fact of his own being to present himself to us as masculine, as father. He's not mother God. He's father God. And in our best situations, in, in you know, thinking about Father's Day, when we're, when we're choosing just to see the best of our, of our husbands and of our own fathers, and even our children that are fathers, you understand that, you know, that, that desire to do well, to lead, to protect, to provide, right? That's the best of us. That's the best of what we can do. And the same with mothers, right? You grow, you nurture, you love, you protect. So all these things is what God wants us to see about himself, but he does present himself to us as father. And that should not be lost on us. If you, have a, if you, have a, you did not have a good father and you have not seen you know, biblical examples of men in your life, I am so sorry, but that is not your God. That is not who he is. He is better than that. He is, he is better than the best of us because he is Father. So only God truly knows himself. Only God, and I'm going to say this and it's going to blow your mind, maybe, hopefully, if you haven't tuned me out. Only God knows his own mind, right? So we have, I, I, tell, I say in my class a lot that there's something called noetic faculties, and this is your ability to think and to reason post the fall right? So every successive generation after the fall, our noetic faculties, our our abilities to think and to reason decline more and more and more. And so if you think the world is worse off than when you were a kid, it probably is just a little bit uh, because we're all just that much more dumb. But God is not that way, right? I mean, I, I literally cannot tell you what I had for lunch three days ago. I don't know. I don't remember, right? My mind is, is, you know, not that way. But God not only knows his own mind, but he knows himself fully. And this is something that we could never do. We cannot fully ever know ourselves. We can know about ourselves. We can classify ourselves by the sins that we've done, by the great things that we've done, by the dollars that we've made, by the places that we've been, by the children that we've birthed, by the the people that we've married, by everything. We can classify ourselves by all those things, but we will never know truly ourselves because we never really know what we're capable of in any given moment. I could fall off this stage right now. Could, Right? but I'm not going to because I'm not coming out from behind. I'm holding on, right? Um, So, but God truly knows himself, and this is important. Because he truly knows himself, he reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. There's no reason for him to reveal himself that way. He didn't have to. He could just say, I am your God. Fair enough. I'm good with that. But no, he goes further. He wants us to see just how different he is. If you think about, go back to your, you know, go back to high school, you think about, uh, you think about the Greek gods, right? They're flawed. They're predictable. You think about the Hindu gods. They're way off. They're strange. You think about... Um, You even think about, uh, you know, the the animist gods, uh, you know, like the Native Americans. You know, uh, God is in the moon and God is in the trees and there's a wolf god that comes and steals your kids and there's all these things. These are all predictable. These are all things that we can conceive of. We would never, ever conceive of a god that is three in one. Why? Because we can't categorize it we would never conceive of something this complex because we can't, we can't explain it. And we'll get to that in just a few minutes, hopefully. All right, talking about the attributes of God. So God has, and if you're in my class, you've, you've heard this. I'm gonna see you mouthing this. God has attributes that he shares with us and that he does not share with us. These categories are not perfect. This is one of those times in theology where uh, through our best efforts, we try to understand better the character of God. So when we're talking about his attributes. We're talking about those that are communicable, meaning that he communicates those to us. He shares those with us. And those that are incommunicable, meaning that he does not communicate those to us. He does not share those with us, all right? So communicable attributes would be things like goodness and knowledge and wisdom. Now, we know that God is fully good. We know that God is the epitome of wisdom, right? He knows all things, and we know that his knowledge knows no bounds. Whereas our knowledge, uh, there's a there's this uh, idea that goes around. Jonathan Edwards, not the not the senator, um, the theologian, the preacher. Um, it was believed that in his time, he was he very likely knew just about everything there was to know in his time, right? Um, information was not spreading nearly as fast as it does today. Obviously, information doubles every four days in our current 2017. So every four days, information doubles. Think about that. Information overload. It's a real thing. But in his day, it's believed that he was was able to learn just about everything that was known, right? Because information was not spread that way. Um, But even then, he still could not fully know all things right? So God knows all things. So God shares his goodness with us, even though we are not fully good. God shares his knowledge with us. We can know, we can think, although we cannot know all things, as smart as we may get. We can be wise. We know Solomon was the wisest to ever walk on earth, and yet he's still messed up bad, all right, even with all that wisdom. So these are things that God shares with us, but he does not impart them to us as if it was him, as if it was his own, okay? And again, you have to be flexible with these definitions. Uh, Incommunicable. So big ones are like eternity, right? God is eternal. This sounds reasonable. Now, every human was created to be eternal. So you will either spend an eternity with God or you will spend an eternity without God, we refer to this as heaven and hell, but you will be eternal, but you weren't always, right? So you were created to be eternal, but there's that, there's that caveat, that created. You did not exist before that, right? So even though God shares this, this bit, this, this ounce of eternity with us, we are not eternal creatures in the broad sense, Okay? We were created to be, but we were not eternal past, if you will. Uh, omnipresence. So this is, this is where God is. It's not that God can be everywhere at once. It's God is everywhere at once. And think about it, and this I'm I'm breaking my own rules here, okay? But if you're trying to think about how God fills and how God is omnipresent, think of about, think of smoke in a in a clear box, right? The smoke fills, right? It's still smoke. This over here is no less smoke than this, right? It fills. And this is similar, not the same, similar to how the presence of God is. The presence of God fills his creation. So if I get on FaceTime, and I'm, I was in Africa, I was in Zambia, and I was FaceTiming with my family when they were in Florida, right so across multiple time zones it's tomorrow over there but it was today over here and you know everything and here i am you know talking to my family now in a sense i'm present there with them they are hearing my voice they are seeing my face i am seeing their face we're all feeling emotional and in a sense i am there but i am not omnipresent i was not there it felt like i was there but i was not there So this is important to remember that it's not that God can be everywhere. It's that God is everywhere. And I'm not saying God's in the trees, right? I'm not saying that this is a a polytheistic view. It's not that God's everywhere, man. Um, It's that, no, God is omnipresent, man. Like he is everywhere in all of his creation. He is never not there. What does David say? If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. It's not like God was racing him and beat him to Sheol. Like, you know, he was there. He was there when I was here, and he was there when I was He's like, where can I go? So it's not that God is just super faster than you. It's that he's already there. Because he's never not there. He's here. He's outside. He, he is in his creation. He is not of his creation, but he's in his creation. That, that's just fascinating to me timelessness is an incommunicable attribute. We kind of hinted on this. God is not affected by time. We will always be affected by time. Yes, always. I tell my class, time can be measured as a series of moments from one to another. And we see in the, we see in Revelation that people will come in and out of the city of heaven and they will do things. How do you do something? One step after the other. But God's not this way. He's not affected by time. He chooses to interact with us in time, but he's not affected by it. So he is timeless. So these are, again, communicable things that he shares with us, and then incommunicable things that he does not share with us, all right? At least not fully. So that's when I say these these definitions are a little bit loose because it's, it's sometimes hard to classify these things. Yes, God is eternal, and we share in that, but it's not ours like it is his. Matter of fact, nothing is ours like it is his. All right, God is the standard of goodness, justice, and truth. I told you earlier that we all have this conscious idea of right and wrong, that we are basing it on something. Maybe you're saying, well, I base it on laws, or I base it on gut feeling, or I base it on experiences. Okay, but where'd that come from? So he is the definition, he is the basis, he is the foundation, the standard of goodness, justice, and truth. You can see this in Romans 2, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 32. He is these things. It's not that he just does these things the best. No, he is these things. We say very easily, it rolls off of our tongue, God is love. And we can even say, God is good. But it is also right to say, God is just. And we often don't like that. Because it's not our idea of justice. It's not our idea of fair. It's not our idea of, well, I'll let this one slide. Mm Mm-mm, doesn't work that way with him. He is justice, and then he is truth. It's not that God is always truthful. But he is truth. There could be no truth except by him. So if he was not truth, we would not have access to truth. He literally is truth. Think about that. All right, sovereignty of God. I lose anybody yet? Like, like I think somebody's hiding. Yeah, back there. Okay. All right. See me afterwards. We'll talk. Okay, sovereignty. So God has a mind which has prepared a plan for the created order. This is called the Council of God. Write that down and then go look it up. The Council of God, C O U N C I L. The Council embraces and encompasses both what he has done in the past and then what he plans to do in the future. You can find that in Ephesians chapter 1. Okay? It's easy to miss this and think that God is merely reactionary. That God is caught by surprise. That God, you know, swoops in to rescue you just in time because he just finished rescuing the last person. And this isn't how God is. He's not reactionary. We said earlier, he is the author and the subject of scripture. And scripture is about what? Redemption. So it's his redemptive plan. And it's all there. Now, this can lead us into, if God is not reactionary, and, and this is all planned, this leads into what's called the problem of evil. And this is a whole other sermon um, actually debated on whether even to use that phrase. But this is, a, this is a, a worthy discussion, the problem of evil. You can write that down. There's lots and lots of information about it. There are some fantastic books um, discussing this. But the problem of evil deals with the idea if God is who he says he is, if God is fully just, and if God is fully loving, and if God is fully in control, then how can we have things like evil in the world? It's a worthy question. Uh, And we'll address it sometime, but not today. (laughs) So, sorry for that. Cliffhanger. Um, Now, he has sovereignty over everything that he has made, and the universe was created to manifest his glory. There was no necessity for him to, to, to create, as we know, for what we call creation. There was no need for it, right? It didn't fill some urge that he had. It didn't, it didn't check some box that he had. It's just simply that it was good, and it glorified him, and it brought glory to him. God's ultimate end is to bring glory to himself, and this is Good. This is kind of a hard thing to get your mind around, though. So we think if my, if, Tony, if Tony's ultimate end is to bring glory to himself, you would call me selfish, arrogant, other things. right? But this is not the case with God because God is wholly other and entirely holy. He is good. So it is good that he brings glory to himself. It is good that we glorify him in the things that we do. This is hard, but it is good. Just because something is hard to think about doesn't mean it's impossible. Okay? Nothing happens in creation without God's consent. This word consent is a little bit loaded um, because, again, if He is the author of all things and of all creation, then it's not really a consent. But in our minds, in our understanding, in our perception, We can use this word consent, and this is God allowing a thing. Again, the problem of evil steps in. Why would he allow this? I don't know. But it's good that it does happen. It's not good for us, it's not good temporarily, but in the end, all things work for what? The good for those who believe. This is one of those faith things that's hard. None of this is easy. Trying to reconcile God in your mind and understand that He is ultimately Lord is a very hard thing, but it's necessary. It's, it's necessary. God is the controller of all nature and history. Uh, he is the supreme author of creation. We see this in Psalm twelve. It is Him. He is the one. It's not by accident. Nothing came about by chance. He is the author. When you look at a book, when you when you pick your pick your favorite book. Somebody wrote it, start to finish, right? I mean, somebody had an idea and they put their thoughts down on paper and then they formulated it. It It's very similar. He's the author of creation. It is all him. Now, you know, we know that the sparrows in the field don't go hungry. The sparrow, the bird, the cheapest of the birds, they don't go hungry. So it's important for him that creation that we know he's the author of creation he's also present and inescapably present just like we said to all people for blessings and cursings we see this in Hebrews 4 for blessings and cursings we don't like to think of God as cursing because God is love only God can judge me and that should terrify people by the way um <laughs> it's, like, it's like, I just won. I just won a an you know an award for singing this song about killing and 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 pillaging and, and robbing and raping. And I want to thank God because um, only God can judge me. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, no, but He is. We we see this idea that He is present for us in the blessings and the cursings. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Right. So just because you, my oldest daughter, why, she was throwing up. She was vomiting. Why is this happening to me? <laughs> okay, you know, well, lots of people throw up, honey. Like, <laughs> you're sick. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're not special. Um, that's a theme in our house, by the way. <laughs> you're not special. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think that I think that I think that gets uh, a little more strict. Like the more children you have, because when you got like one or two, you're like, oh, honey, <laughs> but after three or four and, and more, you're like, you're not special. They were throwing up too. Um, no, but this idea that we we like to think that only good things are going to come to us as believers, wrong. I mean, I'm sure that's not been the the pattern in your life. Have you had only good things come to you? No, we all have sorrows. We all have pains. We all have had family members pass or, or beloved friends fall into sin. Uh, maybe it's been you, right? Maybe maybe you're the hardship in somebody's life. But the point is, God is present through all of it. It's not like the bad things come and God's like, "I'm out. Sorry about it. You you couldn't make the grade." Like, no, 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 He is present in it. So what are you going to get out of it? And this isn't one of those like moralistic things like, oh, bad things happen for a reason. Well, a lot of times they happen because we make dumb decisions. But sometimes they happen because it is a lesson for you. Sometimes it is a lesson in humility. Or it's a lesson in patience. Or it's just something you'll never know. Sometimes you have to go through something just so that you can tell the story to someone else. But the point is this, God is present. He's present in the good and he's present in the bad. So don't don't bless God, don't worship God when things are all right and then curse God when things are not all right. Because that is not right worship. That's idolatry. You're worshiping yourself. You're worshiping your own emotions and feelings and Inklings at the time. All right. Without God's eternal decrees, nothing would exist. Everything would be chaos. We can see this in Colossians 1. Everything is held together by the power of his being. This is important. I I give the example a lot of water, H2O, right? One little tiny molecule of water. And how many of those are in the ocean? And God is holding all of those together simply with the power of his being. And this is just fascinating to me. All right, we have just a few minutes left, and I want to get to Trinity. We're going to come back to this. So fire this thing up right here, okay? All right, so our concern with the Trinity is soteriological. Soteriology is the study of salvation. All right, that's a cool word. Write that down and and use that in conversation. Soteriological. Um, We believe that Jesus was God manifest in flesh, and therefore we have to believe that God is one. If Jesus was not God we are hosed, all right? Theologically speaking, that's a technical term, hosed. Write that one down too. <laughs> if God was not Jesus and Jesus is not God, we're in trouble, all right? Uh, we, we looked at originally when we, when we gave our source text, we look at Second Corinthians and Paul was giving his benediction. We know that he believed he was dealing with God in Christ and this is the testimony of Paul through all of his writings. He believed that Jesus was God, I say was, is, this is what he fully believed, and there was no doubt in his mind about it. Now, we see in the Old Testament that there are, there are mentions of this, of the nature of God, right? But the Jews were not particularly, like, you know, adamant about documenting things like, quote, the Trinity. They just didn't talk about it much. God was just who he was, okay? But you have Paul, who was, you know, uh, the Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, a very educated man, was, was tutored and, and mentored, you know, by one of the most famous rabbis of his day and one of the most respected as well. And here he is saying that Jesus is God, that God is one, but three. Let's go into this more. Trinity does not appear in Scripture in the original manuscripts. That's okay. We often apply philosophical terms or philosophical ideas to explain things. Anybody we have a problem with that? No. Okay. Good. So philosophy is not a bad thing. All right. Um, it's how we try to it's how we try to organize inconceivable thoughts. We use metaphor. We use hyperbole. Um, these ideas that we try to explain the unexplainable. And that's okay. This is what we do as humans. We try to classify, and that's right that we do, okay? So don't be scared of this word trinity. Um, You know, uh, some of the reformers did not care for this word, but they understood the importance of it. When you're trying to explain a concept that's really inexplicable, it's okay to use things like trinity. Now, substance of God. I'm going to give you a couple Greek words here. This one's for you, Duane. Homoousius and homoousius. All right, these are kind of famous. You can go look these up. Homoousius means the same substance, and homoousius means similar substance. So when we're talking about God, this was, remember I told you back in the, you know, in the early centuries of Christianity, there was this idea that you know, God was not one, that, God, that, there, that the three were somehow different and separated. Well, it came down to this, and it came down to one iota, which in Greek is I, so the homoousius. Ussius, right? Um, but they argue that, well, the, the members of the Trinity are similar in substance, right? They're, they're similar. Like, I'm, I'm similar to my parents. We share DNA. I'm similar to them. And they said, this is how, this is the nature of God, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. They're similar, but they're not the same person. Can't be, because that would be, you know, polytheism. And then More level minds came in and said, No, he is homoousious. He is same substance. How do you explain that? Well, we kind of can't. But this is the clear uh, narrative that we see in Scripture. Let's keep moving. There are non Trinitarians, and we call these uh, loosely modalists. Okay? Modalists meaning mode, right? So they think that God operates in modes. This was our question. God exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in different eras for different purposes but never at the same time. This is modalism where if you were to, if, 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 if we all go to heaven now and we're standing in, and you know, we're in front of the throne, we would see one being. We would see one person. It would be Jesus, right? Because Jesus is eternally in the form of a human now. A renewed human, but go with me. So we would see this one. We wouldn't see, we wouldn't see Father, we wouldn't see Son, we wouldn't see Spirit. They would behave in those different modes at different times. So right now, I'm, I'm proclaiming, right? This is my mode, I'm, I'm proclamation. But I'll step down from here and I'll go be teacher. And then I'll get in the car and I'll go be dad. Same me, different modes. This is modalism, okay? So they're saying that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are not the same. They are homoiousius. They are similar substance, but they are not the same. Uh, different groups, we talked about Arians. This was a early Christianity, and, and it thrived for hundreds of years, inexplicably. Inexplicably, other than people just love sin. And they want so badly to reject the true nature of God. Uh, Jehovah Witness are modalists. Uh, Mormons are modalists. Oneness churches, shakers, Unitarians... Uh, Phillips Craig and Dean, sorry, probably made some of you mad um, they uh, I, I think at least two of them are oneness preachers, so they preach the idea that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are not one. they are separate they 're still all somehow god like but they're not they 're not God. So if you could put the slides up, the first one all right. So this is not a fidget spinner. I had somebody ask me that. Um, Because actually, if this was was a fidget spinner, truly, then it would be um, separationist, which is heresy. (laughs) See what I did there? Um, Okay, so let's go through this. Now, before we go in, we have to know, we cannot fully understand the doctrine of the Trinity. And we try to say things like, well, God is kind of like, and sometimes he's liquid and sometimes he's a gas, and sometimes he's a solid, yeah, that sounds nice, but that's modalism <laughs> okay we're still taught talk- it's still water, right, but we try to come up with ideas to try to explain these these very hard things, especially to children. don't try too hard at that, okay it doesn't have to be completely understandable. We run into the the possibility of of airing into you know very poor theology when we do that all right it doesn't have to be completely understandable for us to understand that it's true okay so let's go with that so when we look at this before we go to the next slide we're going to understand that God is three persons each person is fully God and God is one so you have a little blank on top of your sheet there this is called the trinity shield so write that in there The Trinity shield is built based off of orthodox understanding of God and the Trinity. So let's go to that first slide. So fill this in. All right, so put God there in the middle. So God is represented here, okay? Let's go to the next slide. Okay, so go ahead and fill those in. Father, Son, and Spirit. Give you a minute. Now before you panic and say, that's four, (laughs) <laughs> we're talking about three let's go to the very next slide so from here we can see that the father is not the son the son is not the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is not the father nor is the father the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit the son or the son the father they are not each other this is modalism if we stopped right here this would be modalism let's go to the, le- the last one So, we can see that God is the Son, God is the Spirit, God is the Father. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. But they are not each other. So, this might seem a little complicated, Um, this might seem a little much, Um, but this is actually a very good way for us, and even for children, to try to understand the concept of Trinity. It needs a little bit of explaining But this is an orthodox view. I I joked that if this was a true fidget spinner, if the is-nots were there, were not there, then this would be separatism, which is a big fancy word. But it would mean that the nature of God as he reveals himself would not be true, okay? So a couple closing things before we go. The biblical doctrine of God assures us new life. You're thinking, well, okay, like, this is all really cool, Tony. Like, thanks for talking. But why is it important? It's important for your salvation. If God is not who he says he is, then we've got a whole bunch of problems, not least of which is he's a liar. And if he's a liar, then the salvation that he offers us through his son is false. If that's false then we're just a bunch of idolaters and woe to us. We're fools. All of that in the doctrine of God and the Trinity. It confirms that the new life is real. Because what did Jesus do? He died and then he rose again, right? So it wasn't just like there was the Trinity and then the Father and the Holy Spirit were like, well, Jesus is gone. We're going to have to take this from here. No, 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 no he comes back from the dead and there's the trinity so we see this example over and over and over again in scripture and by the way you can find easily easily 20 30 examples of trinity in the new testament uh, and of course it's it's peppered all throughout the old testament it's crucial the trinity is crucial because it gives witness to Christ it gives witness to the deity of Christ this is important. We, we, we kind of gloss over this. We, if we've been in church long enough, we think, yeah, Jesus is God. Yeah, Jesus is divine. But think about that. If that were not true, if Scripture did not testify to that, then where would we be? I'm up here talking nonsense. You're out there listening to nonsense. Like, let's just go get lunch because this is foolish. That's where we would be, right? Right? People people that have died, people that have martyred, people that have spent their lives ministering the gospel, administering the gospel all over the world. Left families, friends, never saw them again, never heard from them again, for nothing. Think about that. We see in Isaiah 43 this idea of worshiping the creature, not the creator, and we see this in Romans as well. If If Jesus is not God, then he's just a creature and we're idolaters because we worship the name of Jesus. If Jesus is not God, we are idolaters because we are commanded to worship God. All right? But we know God is one. So Jesus is God. This is important. The Trinity allows God as if he needs the permission, but in us, It defines himself. This is how he defines himself. It's weird for us. We can't really conceive of it. We understand what, like Tony, I know what you're saying, but yeah, whatever. We can, we can conceive of him this way. We don't understand it. I don't understand how he could just always have existed. I don't get that. I have a birth date. You have birth date, right? We will all have a death date, but he always has been. And so I can't conceive of this other than to define it just like I have. But it doesn't make it less true. And the same with the Trinity. I can't fully understand how God is three in one. How can you be three beings, uh, but be the same? I, I don't know. But that's how he reveals himself to us. And if we are submitting to the lordship of Christ, this is what we believe about him. And then lastly, the Trinity assures us that Christ, who is fully God, saved us from the wrath of the Father, who is fully God. And we were guided in sanctification by the Holy Spirit, who is fully God. So it's a lot to take in, I know. Like, this is a lot. Um, trust me, I really could have gone for like hours more. But I wanted you to have a little bit of an understanding of what we believe about the doctrine of God, and I hope you do. Uh, I hope that you, when you read that, that brief sentence that's in our statement of faith, you understand there's a lot that goes into that. There are literally centuries of thought that have come and brought us to this orthodox position. And so I hope that you can actually understand God a little bit better for it. Let's pray.